Welcome to Food and Loathing, your top source for Las Vegas restaurant information and other fun facts about Sin City. But before you ask, no, we cannot help you score tickets to see Beyonce at Allegiant Stadium. We are happy, however, to offer advice on where to eat before, during, or after Queen Bee's performance. So um, hit us with those questions. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Al Mancini. I will not be at that show, although I did once meet Beyonce while interviewing Jay-Z about his short-lived Las Vegas venue. Mm. Joining me today are two of my most trusty culinary companions. Neither of them is a member of the Beehive, as far as I know. No. No. We have offthestrip.com's... <laughs> Food and beverage writer Samantha Gemini Stevens and producer extraordinaire Rich Johnson. Hello. Hello, hello. I give myself a hand because, you know, that's yes. how I roll these days. <laughs> give yourself a handy. No, a hand. Okay. Hello. That's a different kind oh, of show, we, boys. We can talk. Uh, we have a fantastic episode for you this week. A bit later in the show, I'll be speaking with the legendary Bradley Ogden about his new gig at one of my favorite off strip restaurants. I'm so and excited. Yes, it's so cool. <laughs> We're also going to be digging deep into the history of a local fast food chicken chain that recently opened a new store on the east side of town. So I definitely want to hear what Rich thinks about that. Yeah. But first, we always begin the fun by bringing you up to date on where we've been dining. So let's start with Rich this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another from the long list of uh, gotta go there because we talked about it on, on the podcast joints now checked off. I was with a bunch of guys not doing Super Bowl weekend. We did championship weekend blowout. Oh, that's uh, right. And doing that next year because the Super Bowl. A lot less expensive. A lot <laughs> less expensive. The week than before, it will be a little bit cheaper. I would say the hookers you know, and blow money goes a lot further oh, during golly. championship yes, weekend. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, mostly you can get rooms because next year, I mean, Vegas is filled up anyway during the Super yeah. Bowl. But now with the Super Bowl here next year, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to get priced out. And shortly before that, we've got F1, yeah. correct? Yeah, and November. So, yeah. Yeah. So, if you're not booked, you might as yeah. well just stay on a friend's couch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, stay in Pahrump. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, don't do that. Yeah. The hookers so, and blow money really goes further there. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sort of that tangentially, we ended up Friday night at El Dorado Cantina in the same building as Sapphire. Yeah, baby. Uh, no, the entertainment was not from Sapphire. It was, uh, we always do Friday entertainment, and it was our good friend Steve Heitner, Banya from Seinfeld. Oh, I loved meeting him, yeah. And he brought a couple of friends in for comedy night, and they uh, the food they brought out there was fantastic. The uh, Did he get more than soup? Oh, he did. <laughs> it, it was a couple of meals, yes. He was huge. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, no, I like El Dorado. Now, you know, they they did lose um, Chef Paco a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I'm a huge fan of his, but I have not seen a, a significant drop off since he's been gone. I still enjoy going into the yeah. local restaurants. Um, I, I don't don't see the attention to details when he was cooking for me at my table when yeah. he was there. Right. But, um, I still dig those places. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they put out a menu with about three or four different choices. And then the guy said, screw that. We're just bringing everything. You could pick it off the table. So, you know, started with the agua chilies, the shrimp and lime juice, jalapeno yeah. and spices, kind of like a ceviche, but but more uh, liquid, uh, lots of guacamole. They did not make a table side because there was just too many of us and not enough table space, not enough sides. <laughs> so they brought it in. Enchiladas, beef, fish, chicken tacos, fajitas. You know, when you think a Mexican restaurant only does the usual suspects, unless it's the hot tamales or it's uh, Rick Bayless. 
along comes this uh, great uh, family joint to prove me wrong. So there you uh, go. I'm an El Dorado believer. Okay, couple questions. Yeah. Did you eat any crickets no. or any other insects? No, no? I did okay. not. Okay. Chapulinas. Yeah, they used to make really good ones, <laughs> a really good chili lime version yes. there. Yes. And yeah. I know you're a sucker for a table-side Caesar salad. They used to do a really good table-side Caesar mm. there. Did you have their Caesar? I did not. It was uh, not on that uh, bit of menu, and I didn't need it. I just had more agua chilies, and I was just fine. Yeah. And it may not even be offered there. I know that was one of Paco's things that he introduced shortly before he left. And he had actually gone down to Tijuana yeah. and staged in the place where it was invented, I believe. So that's maybe not. Right. Caesar Cardini's uh, place. Yes. That's right. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, and it was. Some boobies afterwards. Uh, I went home. I went or I went back to the room, uh. actually. I staycation two <laughs> nights at Resorts World. And where I got up in time to have uh, breakfast at the kitchen. Uh, the gang has this uh, pancake tradition now. Those pancakes are... They're, they're more cake than pan, I have to say. They're mm-hmm. fluffy to the point of being almost like a cake inside. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, and so, you, you know, they're big, uh, like an LP, 33 and a third for, for the kids out there. Uh, and too many, too many. But I had a half of one, and it was very good. The bacon they have there, I don't know the brand, but it was fantastic. I'm going back just okay. for the bacon. Eggs perfectly done, even on a busy Saturday morning. Cube potatoes I don't care about those. They, they do them well, but it's just, you know, instead of French fries, it's cube in the in the deep fryer. Give me hash browns. Uh, you know, so what? Uh, I had a couple of donuts at Randy Donuts. Randy's Donuts, the new stand inside Absolutely. Sun's Out, Bun's Out. Clearly not made there delivered, but that's okay. They're good. But they're all still made by hand, 100%. I have no idea because those hands were not on premises. I know because they told me that at the opening. So, okay. And, and I hands, believe them. Their hands are down there on Rainbow, I assume. Probably and down on Rainbow, there. yeah. My long-standing donut thing did come into play. Show me you can do a plain cake donut. Then we can talk about bacon and tricks and other shit. No plain cake donut at Randy's. So, okay. So I had a maple bar. No, here's the thing. I was told by Randy's that their plain glazed donuts are the best-selling donut by far at well, Randy's. Okay. It was a nice glazed raised donut, yeah. And I had okay. one of those, too, and it was very yeah, nice. But so, that's a, okay. a glazed donut, the yeast donut versus the cake donut. Okay. Very different donuts. Okay. So I'm an old um, school guy. Uh, okay. I just, as we uh, started recording, finished a freezer lunch. But can, can we go back to Resorts World? Because you had Please. a bit of news from Resorts World that you texted me. Over, oh, you yeah. don't even remember. Yes, Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Crossroads Kitchen, which I loved when we went there for the tasting menu, had a little fast food stand with the faux burgers and the dogs and things. Mm-hmm. All gone. <gasps> Just you all. were looking forward to that, too. I was going to stop there, yes. Yeah. But no, it is. Oh, all, boy. Nope. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that was, I think, a riskier proposition than doing the full on yeah. uh, restaurant. Um, you know, because honestly, a lot of people who are flat out, you know, there's there's a thing about Crossroads that they don't like to identify themselves as a plant based or a vegan right. joint yeah, yeah. Um, in the restaurant. They are 100% plant based, but they don't advertise it and they they just serve mediterranean cuisine um now that gets a little tougher when you're going in with you know hamburger and hot dog stand and i think the sticker shock of people because vegans generally a lot of hardcore vegans who love tal ronan's food don't want something that looks like a hamburger or hot dog right and a lot of people who just casually walk up to a hamburger hot dog kind of joint may not be as receptive to the vegan version of it so that one going away doesn't surprise me as much i just hope um crossroads kitchen still continues to kick ass i hope so because aren't they doing something for unlv now 
I'm we just talked sure. about this oh. at uh, Southern oh, Rangers yeah. last week. So I'm sure they're fine. So I'm, I'm sure they're moving. I'll be fine. <laughs> yes, they'll be fine. They we also wish them the best, and we love them. That absolutely certainly I, suffered from location because it's right across from the doghouse yeah, with the grilled exactly. cheese sandwiches oh, and yeah. the dogs and the burgers and all that stuff uh, and the wings. I had a lot and of the that dead stuff. Mouse poutine. Oh, I did not have the dead now with teen. I had some nice wings. The nachos looked pretty good. Uh, on uh, Sunday morning, one of my uh, colleagues had a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich there that he said was awful. I had the uh, lox bagel set up, and it was very good. So and played a lot of video poker. I did great at video poker over the weekend at Resorts World. I maybe lost a little, but I played for like. <laughs> Three hours total over about four sessions. I just kept there rolling. It was true nice. gambler. I did great. I lost, but I did great. <laughs> I was losing. highly entertained because I got a lot of quads and trips and all kinds of things on the Ultimate X, and I got the free drinks and the whole deal. I had there to explain go. to Steve Heitner, the bartender, about how to play video poker, but the main lesson was you got to keep playing so you can get the comp drink. I can't comp you if you're not playing like everybody right. Okay, fine. He just wanted to talk to friends and play a little bit. He wasn't concerned. He has the money to buy an alcohol. He can beverage. buy a drink then. That's yeah. right. Okay. Certain point when you have to look at your life and go, right. you know, I could really just afford to buy my own yes. drinks. Yeah. Well, nice. Last little bit, I just finished a freezer lunch, an old chicken pot pie from Half Bird that uh, nice chicken and veg in there could use a little bit more. But I was really liking how that bun, that the bow has survived two months in the freezer. I, I baked it at 350 for about 10 minutes, and it was just wonderful. I almost ordered from them today because yeah. I am not leaving the house, um, but uh, I, uh, I decided that I had other things in yeah. the fridge. <laughs> and my Wagyu Burgundy Beef Pot Pie from Featherblade, also outstanding, about yes. 40 minutes uh, under 350. It must have been in my cold box for about three months, and it was just great. Uh, beverage pairing awesome. for both, of course, Diet Coke. Diet Coke. And tonight I'm taking a nephew and his wife to Sugar Cane at the Venetian. So there's your tease for next episode. There you go. Have Speaking of your Diet Coke um, love, apparently is there a new TikTok trend? <laughs> Diet Cocaine. Tom which Hanks. Is, which is Diet that's Coke That's a Tom champagne. Hanks thing. Okay, that sounds fucking horrifying he to did me, it, for the record. He brought it up on a late night talk show. I believe it was Stephen Colbert. And he doesn't really drink. And so somebody had sent a bottle of champagne to the table for a celebration. I think it was an anniversary or a birthday. And he held out his his glass of diet coke and the guy looked at him he said yep right in there so he put it in there and now it's a thing called the tom hanks cocaine c-a-g-n-e oh and ah. i have not tried horrifying absolutely fucking horrifying well i'll tell you and what for shame for on you forrest this gump. show <laughs> for the purposes of this show next week we will have some I'm, gonna make, I'm just going to oh. make it happen. And, uh, <laughs> and on a tangential note, when we're watching the Super Bowl, I see an ad for a new movie coming out with the greatest title since Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Share. Tell please. me. Tell me. Cocaine Bear. What? I have no idea what this is. It keeps coming up. And it's a and bear I don't on <laughs> coke that goes kills people in the woods. It's a oh, true story no. about a bear that finds a duffel bag full of blow, which is just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And apparently, you know, people don't do coke at home, but feel free to feed it to the bears. Apparently. It's the final movie of Ray Liotta. There's going to be, oh, wow, so there yeah. There we go. I mean, so do, do any of us think that, I mean, I, I feel like Yogi was on something. 
<laughs> picnic baskets. I mean, yeah. Was, I mean, he was maybe at least he was on the munchies because he was smoking weed. weed. He needed those picnic <laughs> baskets. I don't know, man. Right. They got all kinds of shit going on out in the woods. You know who would know? Carla Pellegrino. She lived out on a um on a crazy um where was she? Yellowstone, in Yosemite, or Yosemite. Yellowstone? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, we digress. I'm yes. sorry, Gemini. Where have you been eating? <laughs> Well, after we recorded last week, I uh, jumped up to North Las Vegas, where the Bougie Burgers, that's B-O-U-J-E-E, mm-hmm. Burgers with a Z, had their truck parked up. It was at a 55-plus uh, community, so it was a little bit difficult getting in. They didn't have the the gates standing open. <laughs> but I went in to support. Um, Chef that's, Daniel Stram right. has worked at all kinds of places here in town. He was not there that day. Um, he is in Portland trying to open up another concept. Um, but I keep saying I'm going to go out there, and finally he's not doing it at, like, you know, 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. It was a yeah. time of day I could get out there. Um, so he was I went out. He was doing a peppermint hippo for a while, right? He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there for a long time, but it was always so late at night. And by the time my day was done, I was done. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. don't, don't do that whole late night thing too often anymore. Um, so I went up there. I tried three of them. I figured I'd uh, bring some home and, and John could have some. So uh, three burgers. I did the plain Jane as a double because you can get them as singles or doubles. They are smash burger patties. So nice and crispy around the edges. Um, that one was plain Jane. It was your typical American burger. It had lettuce and tomato and I think a little cheese on it and some mayo. Um, I had the truffle shuffle with some ooey gooey truffled cheese and some sauteed mushrooms. And then they had one called the Sin City with beef bacon and a nice gooey soft fried egg on top. Um, you know, the flavors are all really good, um, but the burgers are a bit expensive. Um, with a tip, I think it was $75. Um, I didn't get any fries or anything extra. So, and they were pretty good. I, I thought the burgers were maybe a little bit overcooked. Um, it could have just been the guy in the truck. It could have just been that day. Um, but I'm super happy to see them pop up all over the place so I can give them another try. Um, but the flavors were superb. So I happily will recommend them. Just be prepared to, you know, put it out there. He does advertise. He's using Wagyu A5 Japanese beef. Um, he's trying to use all the best ingredients. And so you're not getting a, a $10 food truck okay, uh, hamburger. <laughs> you're getting I... a $23 food truck hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, Chef, Chef Daniel's a great guy. And, um, you know, I've, I've eaten many great food from him before. He's Absolutely. the only person to do this. So this is not a slam at him or his concept. This is something that goes back 10, 15 years for me. Yeah. I do not understand why people use quality A5 or any really good Wagyu or any quality beef to make a hamburger. To me, the, I, the the reason you pay for beef like that, what makes the beef exceptional is that they can get a lot of fat and a lot of marbling, but it's the breed of the way that those breeds of cows are bred is so that that marbling is not one big chunk of fat off to one side and then all the muscle on the inside. It's that the, the, the marbling is flecked within. Once you grind up a piece of beef, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it's, a, it's the ratio that you're getting of fat to, to muscle and you know things like that. But once you've yeah. thrown it into a fucking grinder, all of the beauty that you're paying for of this these centuries of breeding that allow that marbling to be carried in that snowflake kind of yeah. pattern within the beef goes to waste. So I say just buy some 
regular old beef, throw some scrap, extra scrap trimmings in to make the fat and grind it up. Now, I could right. be wrong. And there could be chefs out there who are going, Al is so sure. fucking off his game. He doesn't understand. He's missing a <laughs> Call me. Let me know what I'm missing about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't get it, and may maybe that's that's why I think that they were maybe a little overcooked or maybe even a slightly dry. I've never ground up Wagyu. I've only sliced it. I've, you know, cast iron for a couple of seconds on each side and, and then you just enjoy it for what it is. So I'm happy to be proven wrong. I would love to hear other people jump in on this conversation because I see a lot of people putting Wagyu burgers on their restaurant menus. Yeah. Um, you know, I know our friend John Curtis went to Salt Bay place recently and ordered a $35 Wagyu burger and it just looked like another burger. So, yeah, and, I, mean, I mean, so maybe there's something good about it. And also, look, it's great if you're using Wagyu and and also I don't believe Salt Bay is using much from Japan. I, I believe most not. of his stuff was either from the U.S. or Australia. I could be wrong again on that. Most of his stuff, not all. Um, but that being said, if you have if you're buying large quantities and you have the scraps and you have the things that don't make yeah, for a pretty steak, then, of course, you throw them into a fucking grinder. Yeah, and you, make you don't burger. waste any of it. But th th at that point, it's a waste <laughs> product. So you shouldn't be charging for the privilege of I, eating Wagyu. Yeah, right. So yeah. Mm, I'm not quite so, sure. So definitely give them a try though if the, i mean i love a good smash burger they were crispy on the edges they were mostly really tender in the center i do love the different ideas he's got um i'll be posting pictures of menus and the burgers to my social media um so it's it's absolutely worth giving him a shot um so uh but yeah it was just it's just a little bit expensive for you know three hamburgers to go basically because it's right. again it's a truck so you're not sitting there eating it you're probably taking it somewhere else right. um after that you know, after the James Beard semifinalist announcements came out last week, I had a craving for soup dumplings. So, of course, I had to hit <laughs> Shanghai <Jimmy> taste. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love the the Jelong Bao, the regular soup dumplings. But, oh, my gosh, my new favorite right now are the crab fat ones. Have you had these? Ooh. I have had those. Oh, They're really good. They are so good. They are so rich. You have to share them because you still get seven, eight dumplings in an order, and there's no freaking way. I mean, proud of people who can eat the whole thing, but they're just so rich. Um, so we had both kinds of soup dumplings. We got some of the fried noodles with the shrimp. Um, always perfect over there. They definitely have earned the nomination. So I'm excited to see, you know, what's going on over there. Um, and then the rest of this week was really cool. We did, you know, you've heard us talk about our please send noodles with three exclamation points on Facebook, uh, cookbook cooking club. So we got together on Monday night, we were cooking out of dinner for dinner in one by Melissa Clark. And, uh, I'll be sharing photos of all that kind of stuff all kinds of dishes were made there. The whole point between, uh, excuse me, behind this book is that it's dishes that can be made in one pot, one pan. Um, you know, maybe you'll take stuff out of it, and, but you're still using the one pot or the one pan, putting it all together. Um, group members were really, really creative. And we met Tom, I think his name was Scott. Ah, please forgive me from the olive branch. He's got a shop inside the container park. He brought all kinds of olive oils and vinegars for us to taste. We could shop right there. Um, so I took a bunch home with me uh, and I plan to go in to taste more. So um, yeah, it was just a really great night. Lots of home cooking. Everybody got to learn something new, share a new technique. Um, and yeah, we've got a whole bunch of new olive oil and vinegar to, to play with in the kitchen. So it was a great week. Oh, very cool. Sounds yeah. like an excellent week. 
Um, I'm going to start off just mentioning I had a couple of video shoots this week that I think are worth mentioning, even though I didn't have meals at these places. Starting off at the Eiffel Tower restaurant, shooting a Valentine's Day video. And I got to say, man, what a great reminder of what a cool spot Jean Joe's yeah. Paris Las Vegas restaurant. It, it just continues to be amazing. Um, all I had during my visit were a few bites of baked Alaska. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just did find out they're bringing their, they have brought their brunch back. So I plan on really? visiting that really, really soon. OK, uh, also shot a video at Barry's Downtown Prime. Um, that video we're focusing on tableside preparations and presentations. So I thought it'd be cool to shoot Barry's fettuccine Alfredo with the bone marrow luge, which Ooh. is this excellent pasta prepared with truffle butter and Madeira wine, then presented tableside with a marrow bone. The server <laughs> scrapes the marrow from the bone at your table and mixes it into the pasta. And then if you're interested, they'll pour you a shot of Madeira through the hollowed out bone right as a luge. The, bone. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, I think someone at the LV CVA decided, and they're the ones who I'm doing these videos for, decided yeah. the image of me sucking liquid from a bone <laughs> might not be the most appetizing <laughs> image in the world. So yes, I am, you're not going to see that part in the video. Um, you can thank the LVC for that. but That's I on your fans going. only page, right? Yeah, my, my only fans <laughs> page. Yes, I'll have me sucking there on the bone there. There we go. Uh, but I still recommend going and experiencing that yourself and shoot some videos because you probably look sexier than I do when you open wide for a bone full of liquid courage. <laughs> Okay. Never thought I'd say that in my podcast, but right? yeah. I found a way. <laughs> I can already tell you those photos and videos exist. Whiskey, I champagne. <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, man. Oh. I should also mention that the Barry's team sent me home from that shoot with some dessert and both the New York cheesecake and the individual chocolate cake were outstanding and decadent as fuck. Um, I also dropped by Chinglish for lunch with Sue and had some of my favorite dishes, the dumplings, some fried rice with um, with prawns, some duck lettuce wraps. Everything was great, but I also got to watch um, Ken and Kitty and their team experimenting with some new cocktail ideas. Oh, fun. Uh, so that's always cool to watch that creative process. And I think there are going to be some great beverages making their way onto their cocktail menu within the next few weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that. They're so close, too. I love going over there for lunch. Love me Chinglish. Yes. Um, yes. I had a Sunday brunch at Honey Salt, which was excellent as always. A highlight for me was the fried chicken Benedict, which adds their oh. signature Biloxi Whoa. fried chicken and a helping of spinach to an otherwise traditional Benny. Um, man, look, this is really everything wrapped up into one for me, and I love it. Uh, Sue is impressed with the steak and eggs. Our friend Calix enjoyed a bacon grilled cheese made with aged cheddar on sourdough and served with tortilla soup. We also shared a very tasty breakfast pizza, scrambled eggs, bacon, broccolini, chili peppers, fromage blanc, and mozzarella. A really well thought out flavor combination on that. Um, and it definitely hit the spot. And since I always want a little sweet with brunch, we shared some no frills monkey bread. Um, and again, that that covered my sweets craving, but I ended up wishing I'd can you know, decided yeah. to go a little more adventurous, maybe go yeah. with the ginger snap French toast next time. Those of us so. of a certain age thinking you're channeling your inner Nancy Reagan. Because <laughs> I was always on the Reagan White House Thanksgiving menu. Nancy's the monkey, monkey bread. bread. Yes. Monkey bread. Yeah. And this is from a guy who's actually had dinner with Nancy Reagan. I was going to say, right? I mean, if anybody's going to tell us this story. Oh, Nancy's story. I've been in the rich. room very far in the away. room for it. Yeah. Hey, you're in the room, man. In the room when it happened. Um, okay, but the most exciting restaurant I visited in the past week, the brand new Omakase 
Omakase Kayara on Jones at the 215, right yes. next to the Sierra Gold. Oh. So we all know there was a Kayara in there, then there was a Ramen Kayara in there. Now it's Omakase Kayara. This is a collaboration between Luis DeSantos and um, Chef Winston Mat- Matsuchi. Uh, both of them were big parts of the much missed Mordeo wine bar. We loved. Yes. I remember your birthday in there yes. once. Yes. I was sitting not at your table. I wasn't invited, but I was there during your birthday. It's kind of like Rich was there at Nancy Reagan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> you were the Nancy Reagan. That, to my was Rich. The, that was the big beef dinner that they did. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was so uh, good. <laughs> so look, so we've got um, Chef Winston and Lewis there. This is an omakase only concept for the early part of the night. They have three seatings at six, seven and eight thirty and only two menus to choose from, which are basically the same other than how much sashimi you get. Uh, they're priced at sixty eight or ninety eight bucks, but you can supplement them with skewers from the robotic grill if you like. Oh, then after nine, they switch over to an a la carte. It's a Kaya menu, more of a party ish kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, Sue and I had the more expensive of the two on Mikase menus with no supplemental skewers. It was extraordinary. Um, it also moves along really quickly. Um, and I think that's good. You don't always want, just because you want all the good food, you don't want a three hour tour, you know, as yeah, Gogan right. might say. Um, so, Look, the first three courses are all hot and they're all served together. So that kind of speeds up the process right there. You're not waiting between each of them. The sashimi was absolutely at the highest level. And as a cool little touch, man, they serve it to you with sheets of nori and a bowl of rice and some garnishes so you can make your own hand rolls. Mine were atrocious, but the chef... Also offers a hand roll as a third course to show you how it's done, how it's supposed nice. to be done. And then they wrap things up with soup. So, man, this is a fantastic restaurant out in the Burbs. Jones, I, man, get your asses over there. Great people Hell involved. yes. I've been waiting. I'm a huge fan. Oh, man. Are we done? Well, the news is next. Yeah, well, there's that. But you've got a couple <laughs> of interviews. Mike Reese, Bradley Ogden all on the way. That's right. This is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here you are in Vegas. You're hungry and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. You want the strip, off strip, downtown, great views, great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com.
One of Las Vegas's most popular off-strip restaurants has a new culinary director, and it's none other than Chef Bradley Ogden. Al sat down with the legendary chef to reminisce about his groundbreaking and award-winning Caesars Palace restaurant and discuss his plans at his new Desert Shores home. Okay, so I'm sitting here in Marche Bacchus with um, Chef Bradley Ogden. Chef, how are you? I'm, well, I'm doing great, physically, mentally as well, <laughs> now that I have a new job. So. It's been a little while since we've chatted, but as we were just sort of catching up before we turned this on, um, most recently you were over with Sugar Factory on the Strip, and that ran through last September. Um, but, man, we, I mean, you know, I first met you, I guess I dined at Lark Creek you know, years and years and years ago with my brother when he was living out in Marin County. But um, you and I met, like so many people here in Las Vegas, when you opened Bradley Ogden in Caesars Palace. And that's why so many people know you. And um, I can't talk to you without touching on looking back for just a minute on everything you accomplished there. How do you feel about the legacy that Bradley Ogden had here in Las Vegas? Well, I'm completely happy because now all the chefs that were there all the all the cooks sous chefs that were there they're either own a restaurant or in corporate situations or independent chefs so i mean the success of that restaurant bred a lot of great talent yeah it is absolutely amazing to think about them the people that went through there and sometimes even i forget sometimes people tell me oh yeah i was in the brad the ogden kitchen i'm like shit you too but you know like off the top of my head adam sobel um uh gerald chin um um uh, steve geddes uh ralph perrazzo was in there doing pastry for you um David Varley was in that kitchen. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of people. Just some fantastic chefs went through that kitchen. Yes, I concur. I mean, we had such great talent, and they were all on salary. That was probably the only kitchen that had everybody on salary, which was great. And then, you know, Brian brought a lot of those particular chefs all the way from the CIA and, you know, Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, with him because he went to school with him. And so we had built, built the realm, and Brian was the chef, my son Brian. And um, so um, we had, it drove Caesars crazy, but we had 110 farmers throughout, throughout the country that we brought everything in it weekly. Uh, a lot of them were in Northern California, of course, where my home base was. And, um, and then, but from all over, from, you know, we, I get fly in wild watercress from Sausalito Springs. We had, I had growers and farmers and fishermen in Miami that would uh, send us a care package every week, uh, with fresh frog legs and, and of course the Florida fish and, you know, and well as I had a, um, a grower as well as a farmer in, um, LA area that went to LA, uh, the LA market and did a, care package for us every week, you know, from the farms and, you know, on and on and on. So uh, it all starts with, obviously, it all starts with great product. If you don't have that, you're, I don't know how you can do good food. And that was, and I'm forgetting the year that you opened in Caesars Palace off the top of my head, but that was considered earth I, I, let's say game changing, right? The fact that because as I and I've never worked in a casino restaurant, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But as I understand it, there's a lot of bureaucracy, at least prior to you going in, there was a lot of bureaucracy. You could only buy your ingredients from the approved casino company vendors. And it was crazy. And chefs could not just come in and say, oh, this guy grows beets for me and they're fantastic. This woman has the best eggs and it's crazy. And you sort of changed the corporate structure, allowing chefs to really be 
concerned with where the products are coming from. And it seemed like there was a little heyday while you were at your prime that casinos gave chefs a bit more of that freedom. And then I was told that it, they kind of closed that up. And not, not any company in particular, but that the, the, the game changed briefly while you were here. They gave you that freedom to do it, but that it doesn't really exist as much that way today. Am I correct in that, that understanding? I think that's a good philosophical way to look at it. I, um, the, uh, we had a lot of independence uh, with, with Bradley Ogden's at Caesars um, with the support uh, of the corporate, you know, of the corporate head who ran Caesars at the time, and of course it went from Caesars to Harrods, and so it changed the decorum of the business philosophy. So and we had our, we went through our, our lease, which was from 2003 to 2013, ten years, uh, which was a good run for many many um, Las Vegas restaurants, and then Gordon Ramsay took us over. Um, at that time, we were planning. Now we didn't do it. We we had whole we had menus drafted out for a steakhouse to do, um, but it was a good run. And um, with that being said, we had we had great freedom and support of uh, Caesar's Corporation. Um, so it gave us uh, it gave us the anatomy of being able to run our ship, and um, so from front and back and so but we had great a great staff and you know it was all um let's take care of our guests you know from the celine show to our menus to to what we did every day in, inside the restaurant and it was tremendously successful the critics loved it you won just about every award possible right out of the gate i mean we had heads of state we had uh, presidents come in uh uh, every other day we'd have, you know, Steve Wynn and Mr. Trump in there. And so it was like, uh, who's who in, in the, uh, in the restaurant. Uh, we could never take, a, you know, I did that steak burger. I'll be darned if I couldn't take it off the menu. when I put it on the bar menu, but things that we were known for, uh, but it was all about the staff and the demand of excellence that we, we highly taught as well as, I mean, I was at first year just to prove a point to the kids I was there before they got there, and I was the last guy who left the kitchen for one year straight, even though we had other operations in California. So, yeah, and just such a tremendous legacy. The chefs that went through there, the, the memories that people have. I mean, you know, still remembering meals that I had in that restaurant. I remember sitting at that bar in that restaurant. And also, by the way, your bar team was fantastic over there. I mean, there are people that I still see in other great restaurants today that I got my first drinks from. Um, and, yeah, they would even pour me shots of Jaeger before I would leave on my way out the door. But I had some great cocktails from them as well. Um, yeah, so it was just such a tremendous team and really such a magical time for some of us that were around Las Vegas at that point, you know, and out, without the support of my son, you know, Chef Brian Ogden, and and the staff that we had every day. I mean, they were very. Brian was there every day and worked with the staff, and you know, like you said, you mentioned Farley and Adam and Gerald and and the team, and um, even even with our, the support of the utility staff, our dishwashers, and uh, I put them on all, all on salary as well. But I treated them like you know like. They were the best person in the whole restaurant. We had great training, front and back. Uh, we did food tastings every day with the staff. Everyone knew the menu from the from the hostess on back, and so it was. It was. Uh, we were very proud of that um, that communication and, and training that we had every day. So then, and it's, I could sit here and just reminisce about the past forever, but let's talk about what you're doing now. Let's talk about. I'm oh, sorry. No, I. Oh, I don't have. I wanted to show you. Hold on one second. I was looking at some some old 
menus because you're going to ask me probably what what my plans are. Yes. So, so, <laughs> and so, but even from, and here's a, I mean, here's an old, I mean, which wow. I, I think I've saved every menu. Yeah, old Brad the Ogden menu, um, Kobe-style beef, Oregon King Wild salmon with piquito-crab-shaped crab shaped fennel salad, chilled cucumber broth, Hawaiian snapper with rapini, Hobbs bacon, and fresh garbanzo bean stew with red pepper sauce. Uh, God, the, um, my mouth is watering just reading this. So, I mean, it's all about the, um, I mean, the main thing, uh, my goal here is when I first met um, with the Wyatts, was I mean they've been very successful over the years. You know, 16 years they own it. Uh, it was open before them for another seven or so. Um, but it's just it feels so much like a Lark Creek Inn, my first restaurant. Um, mom and pop. Yeah. You know, and I I consider myself in their mom and pop. Right. And uh, so my my main thing is to support their success, as as well as now that I'm here as culinary director is, is to work with the team. Uh, they're executing extremely well. Um, they haven't had anybody in the realm for almost six months, I think, but uh, is to work with the, the team, educate them and, and slowly, uh, it's always tough when you when you go into an existing operation, but I mean me, I'm Aries, so I like things done yesterday. Uh, so, but it's to work, train them, work with them and continue what they're successful uh, what the success they're doing, as well as me enhancing with my, with my farm-to-table approach, call it California or whatever you want to call it, my American heritage, and bring that into the realm of their menus. But it will remain a primarily French with other European influences. Um, but are you going to bring more California into it now that you're coming? Uh, probably, of course. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> can't can't have Brad the Ogden without having California, right? Uh, well, we'll keep we'll keep some of their uh, you know their escargot and the uh, foie gras, and you know I already changed the foie gras setup a little bit with um, toasted Boston brown bread. You know things that are a little more American in approach. I mean. Good cooking stems from knowledge and education of basics. Where does basic good cooking come from? French. You know, the French boys and girls. And so it's, it's established. They already got a lot of good, like I said, they already have a lot of good techniques in place. And now I'm here to uh, educate them sort of in my style. Um, how do you feel that the Las Vegas locals market has changed? Now, this restaurant was in existence when you had Bradley Ogden at Caesar's Palace. So I'm sure you were very well aware of it, I would assume, and that perhaps you even ate here. I think we came here, you know, it's been a long time ago, but I think I came here with Brian. Uh, I know Brian's, my son Brian's dined here many, many times over the years and um, good friends of the Wyatts. And so... Um, and that's where actually my name came up in the conversation with Jeff, and that's why, and that's why I'm here because of Brian. So and his uh, his good friend Jeff Wyatt. So how do you feel that the um, that the the city itself, the city of Las Vegas, has changed in that time? And are they open to different types of things out here in the burbs than they would have been back then? As I as I said before, I mean we're in the where in this world can you get 200 great restaurants within a mile radius? Only in Las Vegas. Right. Uh, the talent and food and, and the restaurant scene is still growing and continues to grow. Um, it, it's always, you always have an opportunity for a successful restaurant. I don't care what kind of market it is. Um, and saying that, I, I think there's, there's a, you know, I'm excited about some opportunities here. 
um, to create something um, that they've already had and and new items. So then I'm, I'm already I'm already penciling down. It was overwhelming because I usually when I open a restaurant, which I've opened 30 of them and some hotels, you know my my template's already done. You know we we hire, we train, we educate. And then a few weeks into it, we have our menus and we're open. So now, now it's going to be a little stage. But I've already sort of drafted up some items uh, for the new menus. We're, you know, we're going to keep things, you know, like the artisan cheese and meat board. I may combine and do an artisan charcuterie board. You know, things like that. The French onion soup. The sort of class, which we're going to keep to the menu. There's Caesar salad, which I do a Caesar salad, but there's extremely well. I'm going to I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Maybe add some lemon. Uh, there's sear foie gras, like I said, Boston brown bread setup, and it'll change on the seasonality of this et setup. But we'll keep that. Uh, there are beef tartare, you know, there are escargot, you know, uh, things that are they've been known for over the years. So, no, we're going to keep some of the classics, and then we'll enhance on the menu. Um, so, you know, things that I'll bring, oh, things that I'll bring, I mean, immediately, uh, is the humble fraud, the humble, uh, frog, um, goat cheese, twice baked souffle, you know, that I had on the menu at Ogden's, you know, but I change you know, I change the setup per, you know, seasonality of, I might put rhubarb with it. I might put peaches with it, you know, or, or make it more savory. Um, I'll bring in for lunch like my steak meatloaf with Hobbs bacon, Tomo Hobbs bacon. Um, you know, and then, then I'll do a fresh apricot uh, chutney with the uh, uh, with their cheese plate as well, and so things like that. I'm gonna keep um, their oysters bacchus will keep. You know, things of you know. We'll do uh, if I'm if I'm doing a uh, specials, it'll be, the special will be on the menu. And, you know, we plan to change the menu. We'll start once a month, and then I'm going to try to do it weekly, changes to the menu, um, depending on what's available to the market. When you, you know, you just kind of sent a chill down my spine when you mentioned that, um, that cheese souffle. Because I don't know that I'd thought about that dish in so long. And now I just remember having it so many times at Bradley Ogden. So how soon does that go on the menu? When can I start getting that? <laughs> I'm thinking. I have, first of all, I, I have to get some dishes in for it. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping within the next two weeks I'll have it on the menu. Okay. Uh, you know, like my butterscotch pudding, which was more like a creme brulee. I'm going to put that on the menu. You know, so things that will enhance the, even the dessert menu as well. Um, how do you feel about this space and this setup and, you know, just the, the beautiful view? And also as a follow-up to that, how do you feel about the wine selection? I mean, I think the wine selection is amazing. I mean, Jeff's done a great job. I mean, of course, he's got his wine store here as well, and everything's for retail. Uh, I mean, I mean the the the. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the fireplace. I'm looking at the lake. Uh, of course, it's 32 degrees out or whatever. <laughs> so, so the. Um, uh, anyway, I'm very excited about the not only the property, but what we can do. We already talked about an outside um, uh, grill station. Um, doing that because we have a space over here. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to work during 120 degrees, but uh, <laughs> but most of the time of the year we can use it. And so um, they have from from private chef dinners, um, a series of you know other uh, their their holiday menu. Like I said, it fits right into my style that I used to do uh, way back when when you were there at Lark Creek Inn. That we had for 25 years, my first restaurant in Marin County. Um, that was encased in redwoods. This is encased in a lake. Yeah, 
right? But all, all nature, or the, this is a man-made lake, I should say. That was a bit more natural out there in Marin County. Um, now, just to clarify, you're the culinary director. Could you just tell us who, who's working in the kitchen day to day? Who are the chefs in the kitchen? And then how frequently will people be able to see you and come and say hi and maybe get you to sign their cookbook here? No, my goal... And uh, my goal is to be here most of the time during key operation times. I'll leave it like that. Um, I'm working with uh, we're working with the staff as as we speak. I'm just getting to know um, the team, Lawrence and one of the sous chefs, and and some of the other um, Fernando and some of the key. There's a few people that are already leaving to go do their own operation, and I'm still. Uh, when, and saying that, I'm, I'm looking for a chef de cuisine, uh, a good second. Um, you know, so I, I, my plans and my goal, and I talked about the goals of the operation with, you know, with Jeff Aranda uh, the other day. And, um, you know, we want to make the, we want to continue to support their team here and build the operation. I, I figure I got another 10 years of good, good, you know, good cooking time. I mean, like I got my mom's gene, who's 93. Um, Lucky but, you, man. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I probably can still run circles around most cooks in the kitchen, so that's that's good. Um, but I'm but I'm excited about the um, bringing some 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 of the old school as well as in, enhancing the new school. Well, Chef, man, it's so great to reconnect with you, and i got a feeling I'm going to be seeing you in here a lot and having you walk me through menu items. But for now, man, congratulations on the new gig, and um, yeah, I'm just welcome back to cooking some of these dishes that I haven't had in a really long time, man. Al, it's been a pleasure seeing you again, and you look great for an old guy. Um, you know, I'm not much older than he is, but... Uh, Anyway, so I'm um, I'm excited about sharing some of our new menu items when they when they come up. Uh, I'm just trying to get the the right tools in place, you know, before we start running. And my next interview requires a little bit of an intro. Um, I really did not pay a lot of attention when I found out there was a new farm basket fried chicken fast food joint opening way the hell over on the east side of town on um, Nellis and Sahara. Uh, you know, Rich, you're the Rich is of course the fried yeah. chicken guy. Uh, in our group and and the fast food guy in the group. So I, I'm just not ter- terribly excited. Then I got a text from our, our friend Jay Dapper, who is the landlord on that property. And okay, Jay's yeah. A cool, yeah. Jay's a cool cat, and he always kind of, you know, when he tells me something's interesting, I pay attention. And he was talking to me about how the Farm Basket was such a Las Vegas institution, when you know, in the old days and all this stuff. Turns out they've been in Las Vegas for over 40, 45 years, something like that. Chain itself dates back 50 years. I'm always interested in getting the backstory. And man, this place has an amazing backstory, as you're about to hear, with some interesting cameo appearances from some very famous characters. Um, it is no longer in the hands of the original family and the people who know those stories, but the son of one of the founders, Mr. Mike Reese, who doesn't even live in Las Vegas, but he was coming to town for some appointments and he agreed to sit down in the new farm basket with me and talk about the history behind this chain. And man, I really think this is a cool story. So I hope you do too. Okay, so I am here a little further east than I ever go to go into a restaurant at the brand new Farm Basket on the east side of Las Vegas. We're on Lake Mead, and I am here with Mike Reese, who is um, one of the family members who started Farm Basket, not here in Las Vegas from what I'm hearing. So we're going to get the background because I'm the first to admit, Mr. Reese, that I am a little unfamiliar with Farm Basket, even after having lived in Las Vegas for 20 years. So 
the sign on the wall that we're looking at right now says established 1973. That would make this a 40-year-old restaurant or restaurant chain. 50, 50, doing my math wrong. 50 years old. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. It's already, whoa. Oh, man. So, sir, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing great, and I'm probably even showing my age. Uh, I was just telling them here, I was 12 when I first started in the kitchen. So, I'm actually 65 right now. So, uh, the business itself... We were the last franchise owner on a handshake from the Colonel. We started in Kentucky Fried Chicken, and that's why we got it. We ended up coming up with our own recipes. We got tired of working for somebody else, started our own recipes, came up with the idea, the concept, everything, and we sold our franchise for Kentucky Fried Chicken, started our own. We had 38 of these stores in San Diego. So we actually started in San Diego in 1973. The first one to open in Vegas was May of 1978 over at the uh, Tropicana and Mojave location. Okay, so this is a 50-year-old chain, started in San Diego, and it's been in Las Vegas for over 40 years. And was it your father who was one of the original partners, your mother, your family, who? It was my father and his partner. Now, the, the partnership started in high school in Lincoln County. Okay, which is right up the road from here. So basically in their life, uh, Lewis Hutchison and Gail Reese did everything as partners. From ev- everything that they did, whether it was hunting, vacationing, uh, it was just, that was what they did. Um, both of them have passed. Uh, my mother was the first one of the four to go. And, and then as Mrs. Hutchison was the last one to go, uh, which was due to COVID in this last year. And one of the other sons died of COVID uh, of this last year. So we, we were, uh, I went to kindergarten in Las Vegas. So the two founders were underground miners. So they were miners in high school. They left that. They got an opportunity to do a franchise for Kentucky Fried Chicken in 1963. That was a big step. It was a huge step. A lot of people here in Vegas helped with that. Um, they ended up hitting it big. Uh, as they went down there, because in 1963, fast food wasn't really that well known. So, so if, if I may interrupt, so the first, that first franchise, so, so the founders, they came out of the mines, they decided they wanted to do something above ground, I guess, and they got a KFC, or at the time just called Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise, and where was that, in San Diego? Yes, so it was in San Diego, and at that time, the transaction took place with John Y. Brown, who used to be uh, the governor of Kentucky, He's the one who bought the rights to Kentucky Fried Chicken from the Colonel. Okay, so that's why I say we got the last franchise from the Colonel on a handshake. Moving forward, John Y. Brown's looking at the books going, man, the royalties are paying us as a pittance. Look at all of this money they're making. So they came and approached our family and the other family and said, I want to buy your stores back. And like, no, then we would have no job. We're, we're minors. And they said, here's the deal. You guys sell them to me. I will pay you guys to go all across the United States and build the Kentucky Fried Chicken stores, and I'll make you vice president of Kentucky Fried Chicken. I want you to do the exact same thing that you did down here. You guys picked your locations. You filmed your own commercials. You guys did your own bakeries inside the stores. We even made our root beer from scratch in the barrels way back when. So, so we started in the very beginning stages of the food business. Everything was done in scratch. Cut our own chicken up every day. Um, We started using the pressure pots and stuff like that. Fast forward, both Mr. Hutchison and my dad, Mr. Reese, got tired of living out of suitcases. 
So Mr. Hutchison moved back to, uh, I think he was probably Tennessee. We moved to Minnesota. My dad did all the Kentucky Fried Chicken stores in Des Moines and Iowa and all through the Midwest. And as they're doing this, John White Brown was going around picking up people to bring them into his corporation to set it up. One of those members was Dave Thomas with Wendy's. This is where it gets fun because Dave Thomas came to the same conclusion as our family did is, I want to go out and do, I want to work for myself. I want to do it on my own. So my dad said, Dave, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm, I'm going to do hamburgers. He goes, you're nuts. You're going to can go compete with these people and these people. He goes, yeah. He goes, but I'm only going to do two things different. Number one, I'm going to sell a square hamburger, okay, so that you can see the corners sticking out from the bun, and I'm going to sell a fresh hamburger. I said, okay. So then my dad and his partner, when we were in San Diego, we converted our garage into a so-called test kitchen. We put up our, uh, our cookers inside there. We, we made our own seasonings. We didn't buy it. Everything we did was from scratch. So at this point, when you're kind of doing your own R&D in the, in the garage, but your father is still VP with Kentucky Fried Chicken no, at that they, point? They okay. Had le- they had actually left outright about the same time. Dave Thomas started it. I think he opened Wendy's in 71. So we started in 73. It took us a little bit of while because we had to change everything up completely. We could not copy Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we came up with our own seasonings. It's not the 11 herbs and spices. So, so if I may ask, what was the inspiration to leave and go out on his own? What, what made your dad say, I don't want to be with, you know, this? I mean, I've got to think at the time when fast food is exploding, a VP is a pretty prestigious. Ability. Yeah, to see the marketing ability. So as you notice, the motif in here is a barn. They're from Lincoln County, Nevada, Panaca. Okay, it's a town of 1,000 people. It's a county of 5,000 right next to Clark County. That's where there are miners at. So um, the colonel referred to them as the boys. They're in their 20s. He's in his retirement. And he was just fascinated with the energy and the wisdom that they possessed of how they wanted to market it, to go here and go there and do all of this stuff. So we, uh, Dave Thomas came up with Wendy's off his daughter. Far, uh, Picnic and Chicken was called Little Boys Picnic and Chicken. So you see the little boy with the straw and with the freckles on? That's my little tiny brother. So they kind of emulated things a little bit. It was only known within the families. It wasn't advertised that way. And we saw how, how much business we did in San Diego. And it's like, you know what? We just want to go back home. Home is Vegas. So in May of, I graduated from high school in 76 in San Diego. I came here in August of 76. My dad told me a year later, he goes, we're all coming back home. As soon as your brothers and sisters graduate from high school, we're all moving back up here. And they made a deal with Atlas Hotels Incorporated, which is known as Fashion Valley and stuff in, uh, down in San Diego. The deal was no money's going to change hands. You build us 48 stores anywhere in the United States that we want other than the state of California. They said, okay, we'll do that because they had the big money and they said, oh, we gotta do is, is furnish the restaurants and stuff. So we came to Vegas. Our first five stores were doing more than their top 15 put together. Um, so they're looking at their books now and they filed a lawsuit against us. They took us to court, they won. What the ruling was, no, you guys have to pay royalty. And what the judge ruled is, yes, Anytime you use somebody else's likeness, name, whatever, you must pay a royalty for that. We don't care if it's only a dollar. 
So you're paying it. So who is this that sued you? Just so I'm following all the players. Atlas Hotels Incorporated. Okay. And they were so they were a partner in the original Farm Basket, or it was they the, bought, the they bought them front. They the, it was called Picnic and Chicken. Okay. Picnic. Okay. So we started as Picnic and Chicken. Okay. Um, I think at the time we probably had thirty some stores. Okay. So that's what they acquired because it was a big deal, a big name in San Diego. Problem is all of the I'm going to call it the brains of the operation left and came to Vegas. They didn't have anybody left. Oh my God, we got some source. How are we going to we're going to ruin our name or whatever? I don't know what went through their head, but I know they were in a panic mode. So therefore, that's when they started looking. Well, how can we? These guys are doing awesome. What? Why don't we get a share of that? So they get their attorneys together, as everybody does, and look at it and go, Well, here's an out. You, they're not paying royalties. Well, they knew that that wasn't the deal. But in a court of law, if you use somebody else's name and likeness, you have to pay for that. So we did a, a, a deal in court. The judge gave us two years to change our name, our likeness, and we would pay them X amount of dollars to have 100% of the rights back. Now we can do whatever we want. We were blue and white stores, the blue ribbon. That was always first place. So all the ribbons you saw on the side of our buildings, that's why we're there. As we won in court and we had to go back and change, change the paint colors, the schemes, the name. So we're sitting there, okay, what's another logical name that we could come up with of the buildings that are already built? Hence, Farm Basket, because the buildings always resembled a farm. You drove across the drive through that had the old uh, two-by-fours in there, sounded like you're going across a wooden bridge. Scared a lot of people at the beginning <laughs> that had never been across one. They thought something happened to their vehicle, but... But that allowed us to have a conversation with them and tell them about us. They said, no, your car is fine. That's just the bridge. And everybody said, that's kind of neat. That, you hear that rumble as you drive up. So what year was it that you converted the name to Farm Basket? And how many stores did you have in Las Vegas at that point? We, we had six that were opening and functioning at the time. Once we won that court, we built our seventh one, which was on Maryland Parkway in Charleston. And that one, we, we, we had to change the likeness of it. So we even added a silo to it on the side of the building. Um, it's still in the shape of a barn, but now we added the silo because none of the other stores had that. Um, and then our colors went, went to a, a kind of a brownish, uh, brown and orange uh, colors and stuff. So... That's how we got today. So the people at the time, we only had, uh, don't quote me, I'm going to say three to 400,000 population here when we did that. So 300,000, 400,000 population. So about a tenth, 10% of what we have today. And you already had six or seven stores. So if people lived in Las Vegas, they knew your stores. Yes. And it was very well known, especially the kids in high school, because that was where they could go get their jobs. And that's where a lot of them would leave and come to lunch. So we never had a big lunch business, so to speak, in San Diego. So therefore, we never built our stores with a lobby. There is no stores in San Diego that have a lobby. We knew coming to Vegas, it's 110, 115 degrees. Who wants to sit outside and eat? Therefore, we created a lobby. Well, that lobby, what we didn't realize, 95% of our business in San Diego was drive through 5% was walk-up. Because all we had was one little window, you stand in line, we put two picnic tables out. It wasn't conducive uh, to eating out there. It was a, strictly a drive-through take-home. Okay? Uh, but Vegas, that changed it, and our business started becoming 60-40. 60% in the drive-through, 40% in the walk-in. 
And that worked very good for a long period of time. As we all know, we go through the expansions of the town. We're up to 2.3 million people in here now. Well, when we did, as with most real estates, uh, you do 10-year leases, two, two or three, five years. So basically at the 25-year mark, it wasn't conducive because the rates got raising so high. That's what put the other stores out of business is like we would be breaking even because the rate increases on the rent alone. We didn't buy them. We probably should have bought the property way back when. That's hindsight. Um, so the concept that they've adopted here now, I think is very great. Um, it's not a standalone. Every one of our restaurants was a standalone restaurant, kind of like you see next door to us with the hamburger joint. It's, and of course your rent for those is a lot higher. This one here, you're sharing the rent with it, but you can still put as many cars through as if, as if it was a freestanding. So I think the concept is great here. You got air conditioning, it's a nice lobby inside here. So um, it does not surprise me that these guys are doing as well as they are in their new store. People on this side of town have always had to drive to the west side of town if they wanted Farm Basket. When did your family sell and, and what's your involvement with the company right now? Okay, when you say sell, um, what happened is all of the family got so big, we only had seven stores. I left after 20 years, I went into construction. I'm a retired carpenter. I built half of these high raises or worked on, was a general superintendent because uh, I knew the construction industry. My brother went into the sign business. He started doing the signs for restaurants. That was his forte. The other side of the family um, uh, stayed and did the, ran the bakery for a while um, and stuff like that. And then the uh, son-in-law bought the one on West Charleston. My brother bought the one on Tropicana, had it for probably 10 years and said, I can't keep doing this as a part-time. This is a full-time job. He's, he was working at Yesco. So he went ahead and, and sold that out. He sold it out to the other partner of the, the other side of the family. And then that's when they took it and sold it to the Bacoli family. So I don't know, don't quote me. I'm gonna say it's been within last three years, maybe. So, but obviously this is still very near and dear to your heart. I mean, yes. you grew up with this, you're here today to talk to me about it. Um, even though, unless I'm wrong, this is not your restaurant that we're sitting in. This is somebody else's, but yet you still have enough of a love that you want to talk about it and tell the story. Why is that? Well, if you look back at what the Colonel did, the Colonel, after he sold off his rights, he would still go around all the restaurants. And you probably, if you remember back in the 70s, 80s, he was mad because he said that the gravy tasted like a wallpaper paste. And he really lambasted because you lost the quality and, and that really bothered him. In my high school annual, it's still signed to the chicken man. I was known as the chicken guy in high school. You needed a job, go see Mike. Or you go see another member of the family. Of the other uh, family, we all went to school together. We and the other family, the Hutchinsons, we we're basically raised together. We're like brothers and sisters. Um, it's unfortunate now. There's only two of the daughters left on the Hutchinson side of the family. One is in Boise. One is here in Vegas. Then on the Reese side of the family, uh, me and my brother were instrumental in working in the stores, and that we're the only two left. My sister worked part-time as she's going through college here, and that's pretty much all that's left. Of the founding people that really knows how it was started, why did we do what we do, why didn't we do this? And so as we look at the menu today, it's kind of the same, but we looked at it and we our menu changed as, as well as Wendy's did. Wendy's added chili, 
Why? Because if there's any leftover hamburger, you, you can never make a profit feeding the trash can. Turned it in chili. Guess what we did? We turned it into Cluckitos. That's the number one hit here. So it's so big of a hit, we actually had to start cooking chicken to make the Cluckitos. And what are Cluckitos, for those who don't know? So the Cluckitos are uh, the ground-up chicken meat mixed with the uh, uh, taco seasoning and uh, served with salsa and the cheese and lettuce. So instead of it being a beef, it's a chicken. And I believe that's kind of where the chicken really came in on the... Uh, well, they always call them a Takitos. Well, because it was chicken, we did it was Cluckitos. Because of our previous advertising that we did with Sears and Roebuck, if you came in and purchased something, depending on how much your purchase was, we gave you a cluck. Instead of a buck, it was a cluck. It was redeemable at Sears and Roebuck in San Diego. We've had bumper stickers. Have you had your cluck today? <laughs> and it was just, it was, it was a gimmick, but it was a really, really big hit. And so we, we tried to keep everything around the tone of chicken and turkey, gobble and cluck. So, Cool. So uh, how do you feel today just seeing that, that this brand new store is here? Um, you know, how do you feel about the legacy, I guess, that your family created and that it'll move forward into new generations here in Las Vegas? Um, I, I personally am excited about it. The one thing that I'm really more excited about is somebody's interested in the history of it. Not most, today's society just wants to know today, what's, what's in it today. But if you look at it, we're around 50 years. Well, how does a business survive over 50 years? It's our motto. We're carried away with quality. I've been in Vegas now like almost four years, and a lot of that was driving up and down Charleston, and I passed the farm basket there yeah. around Charleston and Jones. And for some reason, it was never the timing and all that, and I never got in. I saw them with a, a pop-up at a football game back in old Sam Boyd Stadium, but it was just sandwiches and fingers, and I thought that's all they did. And now I look on their menu as as I'm listening to the interview, and they got they got actual pieces of chicken with bones in them. I'm heading there I knew tomorrow. you'd love that, oh, man. I knew you'd love it. Where have you been? Well, you've been right there in Charleston. I've just been the stupid ass not going in. It's a little hard to get into, and it's a weird drive-through, and the in, finding the inside entrance I couldn't even find. I did go to the one on Charleston after my interview with Mike, and I don't know. I'm not qualified to say whether this is in any way better or worse than KFC or Popeye's because I can count on – on my hand, one hand, the number of times I've eaten at a KFC or Popeye's in the past 10 years, but um, it was solid. I dug what I had, and I had those fucking Chiquitos or Cluckitos that they had, <laughs> which are <laughs> crazy. They're fine, man. They're awesome. If I had them at a um, video poker bar, I'd be digging on them. So, yeah, it, that was interesting, man. All right. Another one for the list for next week. Another tease yeah, for I next episode. So. <laughs> All right. We got news coming up. This is Food and Loathing. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's time for the news. The Red Rock Resort has set February 16th as the grand opening date for their two new Greek concepts, Naxos Taverna and Callisto Oyster Bar. These are the latest concepts from the Bua Food Group, which is a collaboration between Lotus of Siam's Penny Chitima and nightlife veteran Lou Abin. 
Thursday the 16th is the date of the VIP grand opening party. There's no word yet on when the venues will open to the public. As much as I had a good time at Resorts World, I get up to Red Rock and it takes my money right away from me. So <laughs> I got to pass by the video right? poker and go right to the restaurants now. Uh, Pepper Mill, speaking of restaurants, Pepper Mill Restaurant and Fireside Lounge is closing for a few days. It's renovation time. The 50-year-old oh, strip institution, according to the website, closed for maintenance Sunday, February 5th, 11 a.m., and reopening Wednesday, February 8th, 7 a.m. That is some Please fast renovating. I, Please tell me I still get a fire pit and a scorpion bowl. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I hope it still looks like the inside of a cheesy 70s That's, um Right? And please don't change much. Oh, no. It's just a new coat of purple, baby. That's right. <laughs> oh, one last piece of news. Apparently, Vegas Vic got a little jealous of his neon wife, who has her own lounge at the Circa Resort. You know, Vegas Vicky. Um, but not to be outdone by his significant other, Vic is opening his own jazz club and Italian-American bistro in Symphony Park. Located directly across from the Discovery Las Vegas Children's Museum and the Smith Center, Vix is described as, quote, a sophisticated space to socialize, drink, and dine while enjoying superb service and a roster of local and nationally acclaimed jazz artists. And that's the end of that quote. This is the brainchild because, I mean, obviously Vic is a fictitious character, so this is not really his place. It's actually the brainchild of Porchlight Hospitality CEO Chris Loden, I believe, or perhaps Loudon. And his father, Paul Loudon or Loden Sr., was a musician and the former owner of the Sahara, Hacienda, Santa Fe, and Pioneer Casinos. Um, Vic's will open on February 10th. Looks kind of cool, and clearly it's got some Vegas roots there. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to our guests, Bradley Ogden and Mike Reese. Please tell a friend about Food and Loathing, available at the usual podcast places. Check Al's musings and postings at the major social media sites as well. Just search Food and Loathing. And Rich's direct email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And if you haven't done it yet, download the Neon Feast app and use it to find your next dining destination. Seriously, people, whatever you're looking for, whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you are craving, you will find it on the Neon Feast app or over at neonfeast.com. Also, if you want to see me on TV, my biweekly appearance on the Wake Up with the CW will now be taking place every other Friday around 8.30 a.m. starting February 10th. And as soon as my schedule gets a bit more solid and I get this annoying surgery behind me, we're probably going to be upping that. Well, definitely. We're definitely going to be upping that to weekly. So um, stay tuned for that. Gemini, what do you got going on? Thank you for asking. Of course, as I keep mentioning, you can find my writing on offthestrip.com, but you can also find me personally on social media. Anytime you need to plug in a username, just put in Wishbone and Vine. And catch you all week long on the Neon Feast update on The Vibe. 99.7 here in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, and 98.9 at the river. Also, every Thursday morning around 8.10 a.m. on The Club, AM 670, KMZQ. With Samantha Gemini Stevens and Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.